Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We can't get caught up in disassociating with and even despising our Christian brothers and sisters because it's ripping the church apart. And the church that's supposed to be showing a broken and fractured world that there's a better alternative than what either the right or the left are offering, there's the kingdom of God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on John chapter 13, verses 18 through 38, in a message titled, A New Commandment. Now, here's Pastor Brian. See, God's love for us is not for Him to receive something. It's strictly for us to benefit from. Now, all of us who love, in some way, we benefit from the person that we love in some way or another. It's sometimes we don't benefit simply because maybe there's no reciprocation on the part of the other person. Maybe you, you have a child, you love your child desperately, your child does not reciprocate that love. Your child just says, you know, I hate my parents, I don't wanna, that, that's a very difficult and horrible situation, but we know what it's like to, to love through that. Well, that's God's love for us. It's a selfless love. He doesn't love us because he benefits from it. God doesn't need our love. God is completely fulfilled within himself. So he didn't love us so he could get something back. His love for us is just completely directed at us because of who he is. So his love for us is selfless. His love for us is unconditional. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Paul tells us, that's John 3.16. Paul tells us in Romans 5.8 that God loving the world, when did that happen? While we were yet sinners, God loved us and demonstrated his love for us in that Christ died for us. So there wasn't some condition that we had to meet before God started loving us. God already loved us. His love for us is an unconditional love. And this is his love for the world. This is his love for us as well. God's love doesn't change when we don't live up to a particular standard. Like I was saying a few minutes ago, John got that. John knew he was the disciple that Jesus loved, even though he could probably find 10 things that... Somebody might say, well, how could God love you? Because look at this or look at that. So it's an unconditional love. Remember, this is the love that Jesus has for us. This is what he's saying, to love one another with. And then finally, it's a faithful love. It's a faithful love. It's a, it's a loyal love. It's a love that is there from start to finish. It's a love that doesn't let go. That's the love of Christ. And that is is how we are to love one another. You know, the Bible teaches, specifically in the New Testament, what we might call the supremacy of love. That love is supreme. 
that love is, it is the thing. This is what God is aiming at. And he tells us in uh, Paul's letter to Timothy that the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and a genuine faith. This is what God is aiming for. He's aiming to have a people who love him and love one another like he loves us. That's his aim. That's what he's wanting to see happen. So the supremacy of love. Paul the apostle, he understood that. He said this. You might remember him saying this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So you see the supremacy of love. And at the end of that portion, the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says, Love never fails. Knowledge will vanish. Prophecy will be done away with. But love will endure. Pastor Chuck Smith, we know Chuck. He said this, all doctrinal orthodoxy and understanding of scripture is of no value without love. Now think about this. Basically what Jesus is saying here is love one another. That's how everybody's gonna know that you're my follower. What do we, maybe not even consciously, but what do we so often think of are going to be the indicators that we're following Jesus? I think a lot of times it's not love. I think a lot of times it is, well, I have great theological knowledge. I have right doctrine. I go to the right church. I'm with the right people. That's the thing. That's what proves me to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said, this is what's going to prove that you're my disciple. It's if you love one another. Everyone will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In the second century, now some people have asked this question, like how in the world did Christians, how did they influence their world to so radically alter it? How did the ancient world go from a thoroughly pagan world to becoming a world that was radically influenced by Christ? Well, one of the main ways was by the way they lived. Second century philosopher Aristides, listen to what he said. He, he's writing about the Christian community of his day. He's an outside observer. Listen to what he says he sees. He says, they seek to persuade their servants or handmaids or children to become Christians by the love they have for them. That's the first thing he notes. They seek to draw others in by loving them. And when they have become so, they call them without distinction, brothers and sisters. They walk in all humility and kindness and love for one another. When they see a stranger, they bring that person to their homes and rejoice over 
them as over a true brother or sister, for they do not call brothers and sisters those who are after the flesh, but those who are in the spirit and in God. If there is among them a person that is poor and needy, and if they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with the necessary food. Such is the law of the Christians, and such is their conduct. Wow. So this is what happened in that ancient, violent, pagan, dark world there suddenly appeared these people that were doing something that nobody else was doing. They were loving each other. And people were looking on saying, we have never seen anything like that before. That is amazing. And they were loving each other across all cultural boundaries and racial boundaries and those, all of that, none of that mattered. Whoever it was, If they came to Jesus, they were welcomed in as brothers and sisters. You know, we talk about the need for revival in the church today, and we need to see a revival of love within the church. Because Jesus says the church is going to be my instrument to communicate who I am to the world. But the tragedy, the sadness, is that the witness of the church has been marred many times over by our failure in this area. This is the, by far the biggest problem with the church's witness to the world. And it's been this way all throughout history. And it's this way today. Our failure to love each other. And sometimes I'm t- that applies to the person sitting next to you. Maybe you're even married to them. Or maybe it's your family who are also Christians. Or maybe it's people in your local church. Or maybe it's not that, but maybe it's people in the church down the road because that's not our church. We don't like what they do. We don't even know what they do, but we're sure we don't like it because they're obviously not doing what we're doing. This is the the blight that has been upon the church And I want to give you an example from history, but I want to, in the end, I want to show you how it's relevant today. So I'm going to, we're going to put a picture up here on the screen. And does anybody see a ladder in that picture? Okay, you can see it. I'm looking from this angle, so I can't see it. Okay. Okay. So remember these words, the status quo. And so that ladder... That ladder, believe it or not, it is a symbol of Christian inability to love. Believe it or not, that's what that ladder is. That building is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem. And let me just give you the story and show you why that ladder is what it is. The immovable ladder of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is a religious symbol of a sort, a kind of miracle possible only through human folly. It is also one of the most powerful and iconic symbols of the divisions and religious disputes within 
the Christian world. Proposed as the site of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that's the belief of many people that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is the very site where Jesus was crucified and buried. The Church of the Holy Sepulchre is one of the holiest places in Christianity and has been the site of pilgrimages since the 4th century, since the early 300s. However, even this most venerated shrine could not escape the quirks of human nature, vanity, pride, and envy. Even from its earliest days, Christianity was subject to splintering, creating numerous denominations and sects, all claiming to be the only true school of followers of Jesus Christ. The most prominent of these fought bitterly over the centuries for the dominance over the holy places in the Holy Land. During the time of Muslim dominance over the area, a government equally hostile to all Christian denominations, no one sect could achieve a clear advantage over the others. As the disputes rolled on, the methods of gaining advantage became even more dubious, including outright bribery, blackmail, and the use of force. Today, the current situation is an uneasy status quo, the latter. A kind of fragile compromise reached in several stages through the mediation of the Ottoman Empire, an Islamic empire, and several European powers. The care over the church is shared by no less than six denominations. The primary custodians are the Greek Orthodox, Armenian Apostolic and Roman Catholic, with lesser duties shared by Coptic, Ethiopian, and Syriac Orthodox churches. The whole edifice is carefully parceled into sections, some being commonly shared while others belonging strictly to a particular sect. So, so these, there's six different denominations under the one roof of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. That's what we're being told here. So, arguments and violent clashes are not uncommon. In November 2008, the internet was flooded with videos of a fistfight between Armenian and Greek monks in one such dispute. A small section of the roof of the church is disputed between the cops and the Ethiopians. At least one Coptic monk at any given time sits there on a chair placed on a particular spot to express this claim. On a hot summer day, he moved his chair some 20 centimeters more into the shade. This was interpreted as a hostile act and violation of the status quo, 11 were hospitalized after a fight resulting from this provocation. This state of affairs, listen, makes any agreement about renovations or repairs of the edifice impossible. The church is in a state of decay as a result. Here it is, the famous immovable ladder is a bizarre outcome of this religious stubbornness pushed to extremes. Sometime in the first half of the 18th century, 200 years ago, 
Someone placed a ladder up against the wall of the church. No one is sure who he was, or more importantly, to which sect he belonged. The ladder remains there to this date. No one dares touch it, lest they disturb the status quo and provoke the wrath of others. The exact date when the ladder was placed is not known, but the first evidence of it comes from a 1728 engraving. The ladder has not moved since. Now, someone might say, yeah, well, that's exactly what we'd expect from those denominations that don't truly know the Lord like we do. Be careful. You might want to pause and look around before passing that kind of judgment, for in condemning others, we might just end up condemning ourselves. What is represented by that ladder is a reality, not just at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, but it is a reality with the church in the United States of America. Divisions, condemning words, writing off other Christians as compromisers over politics, the pandemic, racial issues, are basically the American church's version of what is happening in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And these divisive and hostile attitudes Christians have toward one another are a total fail before the watching world. You see, this this is happening all around us today. It's nothing new. The same kind of bickering and divisions and hostilities and name-calling, and all of that is going on. And the church that desperately needs repaired can't be repaired because the people who could repair it can't get together for long enough to even begin to do it. This is our world, my friends. Christian love and unity are one of the main ways that God intends to show himself to a broken and fractured world. That is the point that Jesus is making. Everyone will know you are my disciple if you love each other. You know, we have individual witness, we have individual testimony, but did you know that God intends to use the church collectively to show the church as a unique group of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and they all have this one thing, despite all of their differences, they love each other. But how sad it is that it is very rarely ever realized. Are we loving our neighbor? Are we loving the stranger? Are we loving our enemies? Jesus even said that we were to do that. Are we loving our brothers and sisters in Christ regardless of who they are voting for? Or if they think there is still racial injustice in this country? I mean, these are the things that people are completely divided 
against each other over. Listen, I have friends. I have people that I have known most of my ministry life who will not talk to me today because they suspect I didn't vote the way they thought I should. I'm serious. Or they think that I think something that they don't think I should think. I mean, this is the world that we live in. And and so we look at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and we think how tragic, how horrible. Oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Look around. That's just a microcosm of the church in America. There's more division in the church in America today than at any time in my lifetime. And there's always been division, but there's more. But you know, we just think we know. And therefore, we judge and we condemn. And You see, the higher ground is loving one another. We can't get caught up in all of this rhetoric. We can't get caught up in disassociating with and even despising our Christian brothers and sisters because they happen to think differently about politics than we do. And you see, what in the end, what has it done? It's ripping the church apart. And the church that's supposed to be showing a broken and fractured world that there's a better alternative than what either the right or the left are offering, there's the kingdom of God. But we can't show it because we're all caught up in the wrong thing. We're not taking the higher ground. And we've got to take the higher ground. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for their friends. You know, I think that we probably need to repent as well. We probably need to ask the Lord to forgive us. I know as I was thinking about this message and preparing it, I had to just stop and say, okay, Lord, I I do have to, I, I have to get things right with certain people. I have to love them, even though they don't love me. That's not my problem. God will have to deal with that in them, but God wants to deal with something in me. And maybe that's the case with you today. And it might be something right in your own home. It might be something in the workplace. It might be something in, in, in the church here. Or it might be something you know, out and beyond further in the church world. Things that we're holding on, people that we, we've judged and we're not willing to forgive and we disagree, so we m- must separate. Lord, have mercy. Forgive us. Let's remember these words from John, the Apostle John. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's the word. A new command I give you, love one another. For the month of June, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, 
Can Science Explain Everything by Dr. John Lennox. Our current culture sometimes gives the impression that science has disproved the existence of God. But Dr. John Lennox argues that this is hardly the case. In a clear and simple writing style, Dr. John Lennox presents evidence that science not only fails in disproving the existence of God, but also shows how science and God are compatible. He also tackles the myth that religion depends on faith, but science does not, and that science depends on reason, but Christianity does not. Dr. Lennox also offers a way to scientifically disprove Christianity, but is unable to do so because of the overwhelming evidence. If you want to understand the relationship between science and God, or if you know a person who thinks science and God are mutually exclusive, then you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Can Science Explain Everything by Dr. John Lennox is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.